He had a bunch of guys out here. Doesn't the parking lot look great? They came in yesterday and striped it. It's absolutely beautiful. And uh, I had a bunch of guys out here a couple weeks ago working on the parking lot. And one morning I went out, I stepped out just to watch them. They were pouring the concrete. And as I'm standing there, one of the guys noticed me and, and uh, I said, you need any help? And he said, sure. And I said, well, I'm not it. I am not what you would call help. I have done that job before, did out of your house, and did that job many, many years ago, and I know my limitations. I know what I can do, and I know what I can't do, and it was amazing. More importantly, I'm not part of the team. You, know, you kind of have to be part of the team to do that job, and I was watching two guys pulling this very, very long two-by-four. They were screeding off the concrete as it was being poured, and as it was poured, they would just keep moving backwards together, moving backward, backwards as one and smoothing all of that out. I couldn't help but think of a verse that we've come back to several times as we've made our way through Philippians. It's in chapter 1, verse 20, 27, where Paul says, let, the, let your manner of life be worthy of the Gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or if I'm absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind. And then he says, striving side by side for the gospel. Striving side by side. And that's what I saw those guys doing out there. Side by side. That's what we get to do together as a church. We get to serve side by side. Side by side doesn't happen without relationships. It doesn't happen without relationships that go beyond just the person you sit next to on Sunday morning relationships that reflect Jesus in the way that we serve, the way that we bless each other, the way we love each other, even the way we forgive each other. You know, those, uh, that side-by-side is seen there. I think about the friendships that we've seen here in the church over the years and those people who have served side-by-side. Friendships that have blessed us all. I can't help but think of Viva Pinnell and, uh, and Mary Ellen Lawher and, and how they served side-by-side. You know, they, they, they truly served side by side in literal harmony, right? More ways than one, they served in harmony, a lifetime of friendship that was built around faith, around their church, around their community, and, and obviously around music. We're looking at Philippians chapter 2 today, verses 19 through 30. It's again page 981 in those blue Bibles. <clears throat> this passage. Philippians 2, 19-30, it's a problem passage for preachers. And I would say a lot of preachers just avoid this passage. They don't preach about it. And the reason is, you can't really preach it. When we're, when we're looking through the Bible for things to preach, we look for what are called imperatives. You know, These things that say, you must do this, you, you shouldn't do that. We look for imperatives in the text. And Paul is really good about giving us imperatives. Commands to follow. You know, Do this, don't do that. Philippians is just loaded with imperatives. There are imperatives all over this, this letter, and so we love to preach those imperatives. But for 11 verses, Paul takes a pause, and we have no imperatives. We have no direct teaching material from these verses. Instead, in these 11 verses, Paul pauses and he says, let me tell you about my friends. Let me tell you about two people who are important to me. But you know, if we're paying attention... We recognize as we read Paul's words, we know friends like this. We know people like this. We've got friends like this, and and we long to be friends like this for each other. And what we see is that the the life of faith is marked with relationships that bring healing. And so we hear 
Paul tell about two of his dearest friends in these 11 verses? And rather than give you a command to follow from the Word of God, because there are no commands here, I just have to ask, do you have a friend like this? Do you have a friend like Timothy? Do you have someone that is like family to you? Someone who loves you like family. And there are people in your life who if you introduce them to me, you would say of that person, this person's like a sister, right? you got friends like that. This person's like a brother. You've got other people in your life you'd say, that person's like a mother to me or that person's like a son to me. It's something, sometimes it's someone that you've known your entire life. You, know, you may have even been raised with that person and so you've always had that bond. And other times, you just click with that person. You realize, this person's just like me. It's like we're brother and sister. It's like we're, it's like we're sisters. We're, we're, we know each other that well. That's the relationship that Paul had with Timothy. In, in fact, in, in the letter to Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2, Paul refers to Timothy as my true son in the faith. And you have relationships like that too. Relationships that feel like family. Listen to what Paul writes about Timothy in verses 19-24. through 24. He says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, but not those of Christ Jesus. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the Gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. There's two statements that Paul makes about Timothy here. Two statements that exist independently of each other. And yet those statements exist side by side. Uh, They're different, but they they seem to feed each other. The first statement he says is, I have no one like him. It's a really neat phrase because the phrase actually, what, what he says in Greek is, there is no one of equal soul. Isn't that beautiful? There is no one of equal soul. He shows that deep connection, that soul bond. Today we would use a phrase like kindred spirits, right? We would say that we are kindred spirits. It is two souls, it is one soul in two bodies. We we are actually one soul. He says there is no one of equal soul. And you've got people like that too. You've got friends like that. The second statement, I want you to hear how it's written. He says, I have no one like him who will be, who will be, genuinely concerned for your welfare. Paul sounds really sure about that, doesn't he? He will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Timothy's going to care for you. How does Paul know that? Because Paul knows Timothy's soul. And he knows the soul of those in Philippi. And he knows that that they're going to come together and and Timothy's going to be able to take care of them. They don't seem to know Timothy very well in Philippi yet. They've probably heard of him. They, They know who he is. Paul's already introduced him at the beginning of the letter. And Timothy probably doesn't know them as well as Paul does. He doesn't know their struggles. He doesn't know their needs. He he doesn't know their their problems. But Paul knows Timothy's soul, and he knows the soul of those in Philippi and he says he's going to care for you this is going to be a great match a few weeks ago I was talking to one of my preacher friends and he was telling me about an opportunity he had an opportunity maybe to do something new and it was it was a little intimidating to him he wasn't sure how he was going to handle this and we talked about it and I tried to counsel him a little bit and I finally said you know what 
you need to talk to my friend Ken. My friend Ken, Ken is a pastor's pastor. He pastors other pastors. He has taken such good care of me. He's always there with a phone call. He's there with some advice. He's there for me when I need to kind of be corrected a little bit. I said, you need to talk to Ken. Now, they live pretty far apart, so I had to send an email to both of them. I said, Ken, this is my friend. My friend, this is Ken. You guys take it from here. And they did. And they helped each other out. And, and Ken was able to help my friend through this, these questions. I knew both of their souls. And I knew that Ken would be genuinely concerned for my friend's welfare. You know, you've done the same thing here. I've seen you do the same thing here. And we've done that in our church. A few years ago, Patty and, Patty and Jess had a couple things they needed taken care of. And boom, Danny and Cindy showed up, right? And they came along and they were able to meet those needs. They were able to step in and, and help them out. And over the past few years, I mean, well, forever, but over the past few years, we've seen it with a lot of the sicknesses that we've had and a lot of the losses we've had and people struggling with COVID and people struggling with cancer. And over and over again, those who have been through those struggles, they're the ones who show up. They're the ones who help out. That's, that's who you are. It's those that have been through those tough tests of faith and hope that they're there to help others. That's Timothy. And that's you. And that's God agreeing with me in the thunder right now. But you know, that, that's who you all are. And, and you know what? That's also Jesus. Because Paul says this about Timothy here, but if you flip back just a little bit in chapter 2, verse 4, Paul says, let each of you, he's talking to the Philippians, let each of you look not, look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. That's exactly what he says about Timothy at this point. Timothy is doing that for you. And it's beautiful to see how that's lived out. You do have to be mindful that there's a reason why Paul has to write this section about Timothy. Uh, the, the Philippians really want Paul to come to them. They really want Paul to come visit. But i got to remind you, Paul's in prison. And things may not go well for Paul. And even if they go fine, uh, he's not going to get a weekend pass. right? He's not going to get to come. They're not going to let him out to go to Philippi and visit a church. And so Paul is writing to say, I am sending Timothy to you. And the reality is they're going to be disappointed. They're going to be like, well, we really wanted Paul to come. You know, we were really hoping it was going to be Paul. They're going to be disappointed. They're going to be let down. And so Paul spends these verses saying, let me tell you about Timothy. Let me tell you how helpful he is. Let me tell you how I feel about Timothy. We probably need to hear that too. Pay attention. Pay attention to who your friends, friends are, you know? Pay attention to the people that you trust. The people you trust, who do they trust? Who do they rely on? The people that you rely on, who do they rely on? And don't be afraid to welcome new friends into your circle because you're going to need those people someday. Just like Paul and Timothy, you've got friends who you love like family. Paul also lifts up another man. The example of another man. His name is Epaphroditus. And you know people like Epaphroditus also. You know someone who lives to serve. This lives to serve other people. We know a lot about Timothy. Timothy's mentioned in this letter. He's mentioned in several other letters. We've got two letters addressed to Timothy. Timothy is mentioned in the book of Acts. Epaphroditus? It's a big name. It's a lot to say. He's only mentioned here in the Philippian letter. Paul says of Timothy, he is my true son in the faith. He says of Epaphroditus, he's like a brother. 
then he says so much more about Epaphroditus. He says he's a fellow worker. He's a fellow soldier. And he says he is your messenger and your minister to my need. Philippi was Epaphroditus' home church. This is where he had come from. And when Paul needed help, when he needed someone to take care of him in prison, they sent Epaphroditus to take care of Paul. But the time came for Paul to send him back because they needed him at home. And Epaphroditus needed to be home. Paul's going to let them know, yes, he has been sick. He's been very ill. He needs to come back home. They needed him. And, And you know people, and you need people like Epaphroditus, a partner who's always there, a partner who serves by your side. Verse 25, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him. And not only on him, but also on me also, lest I Uh, lest I should have, excuse me, but God had mercy on him and not only on him, but also on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am all the more eager to send him therefore that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Paul calls Timothy his son, and that's a term of endearment, right? It's a term of endearment. But Epaphroditus, he calls him his brother, but he calls him so much more than that. The titles that Paul gives Epaphroditus are not terms of endearment. They are titles of honor. Epaphroditus has earned these. It's not just about friendship. It's not just about relationship, but partnership. Epaphroditus has earned these titles through his sacrifice and service, through the way that he shared Paul's labors. He says that he is, he says he is a fellow soldier. I love that. He says he's a fellow soldier. That phrase itself implies that Epaphroditus was there through some very dangerous times, doesn't it? He's a fellow soldier. He didn't run from danger. When times got tough, Epaphroditus was there. He stayed there. Paul knew he could trust him, that he wouldn't leave him behind. You've all blessed us so much for Pastor Appreciation Month. You know, there's so many wonderful gifts. I got a new t-shirt, you know? You've, you've all blessed us in so many ways for Pastor Appreciation Month, and I can't say thank you enough. I've, I've, got, a, I've got all the names and everything written down at home. I'm hoping to be able to put together some thank you cards very soon. I, I can't say thank you enough. And I mean, it just it, it means so much to me. Your love and support means the world to me. It means even more to me that Trish sees your love and support. You know, There's a lot of preachers' wives who don't get along with their churches very well because they feel that the church is competing with them for, for the time of their husband. And you have blessed Trish in so many ways and blessed our kids in so many ways. My big project for this month, if you've been following me on Facebook, every day, I decided every day I was going to talk about someone else who's been a pastor to me and someone else that I appreciate. Today I mentioned Dean Spies because you know he's just such an important part of our life here and such an important part of my life. Dean always liked to remind me that he said, I would say, I was with you the first time you were ever in a church talking about their wedding. And he's like, yep, that was probably the first time I was ever in a church. I was right there. You look terrified. I still do, Dean. Uh, <laughs> But I, every day I've been trying to profile another preacher 
and another, another person who's pastored me. Now, the hard part has not been finding 31 pastors to, to appreciate because I have a lot of friends who are pastors and I appreciate all of them. The hard part has been winnowing it down to just which, which 31 should I choose. I've, I've had a list going and I've, I've changed the list up and moved people around. And one morning I got up and I thought, well, I need to appreciate somebody. And I looked at my list and I didn't know who exactly to appreciate. So I thought, well, I'm going to appreciate this person. This, this is the name I'm going to choose today. So I posted a picture. I wrote up a little thing. Three sentences. I always, I've, I've committed to three sentences. Everybody gets three sentences. Just three things that you've done. Three things that I appreciate. So I, I posted it. Posted to Facebook. Five minutes later, I get a message from that preacher. And he wrote in part, he said, I absolutely cannot tell you how much that means to me at this very moment. He's been going through a difficult time. And he's in the midst of it all. He's not felt terribly appreciated. He says, I cannot tell you how much that means to me at this very moment. It was the most encouraging thing I've read in a long time. Folks, it was three sentences. It was just three quick little sentences. And he said that just meant the world to him. That's, that's my brother though. That's my fellow worker. That's my fellow soldier. And I'm not going to leave him behind. I'm going to encourage him. I appreciate him. You know, you all do that. You do that in some beautiful ways also. One of the nicest ways that we see it here at Kansas Christian Church is with our card people. I call you my card people. I talk about our card people all the time. So many of you are so good at sending cards and letting people know how, how, how much they're appreciated. You send birthday cards. You send anniversary cards. You send get well cards. Donna does an amazing job in the office of sending those cards out. The other day I was out and about and I had a lady stop me and she said, thank you for the card you sent. And I had to correct her and say, I didn't do it. But I would have. But Donna does it so much better. And Donna had sent a card to her and she appreciated that. Maxine, you do an amazing job with cards. And Susan, you've done an amazing job with them also. And in the years past, you know, it was Peggy Decker sent some great cards. And Iva Spies always sent wonderful cards. Don Lucas, when Don was with us, he sent cards to everybody. And you know, when Don passed away, his daughter called me and she said, I've got a whole bunch of cards that he hasn't mailed out. What do I do with them? I said, I think you mail those cards out. I think people are going to need those. They're going to appreciate knowing Don was thinking about it. In the midst of a difficult, difficult time for him with his health, Don was still thinking about them. And Shirley cards. You know, it's so much better than a Hallmark card, right? When you get a Shirley card, it just brightens up your day when you see a Shirley card. Listen to what Paul says about Epaphroditus here though. And Epaphroditus' relationship with the church in Philippi. He says in verse 26, He has been longing for you all and has been distressed. He has been distressed because you heard he was ill. And indeed, he was ill near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Sounds to me like the Philippian church sent Epaphroditus a card. Did they sent him a Shirley card? I don't know. Probably not. Uh, but they sent him a card. You know, they, they must have done something to let him know they were thinking about him. There's something of you all in that. I, I hear something of your kind of love and your kind of concern and what they did for him. I also hear something of Jesus in it too. Paul says of Epaphroditus, he served almost to the point of death. What did Paul tell us about Jesus back in verse 8? 
And being found in human form, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He says Epaphroditus was sick almost to the point of death. They saw something of Jesus in Him, and Paul saw something of Jesus in them also. Now there's two things that Paul is hoping happens from sending Epaphroditus back home. He mentions them both in verse 28. He says, first of all, you're going to love to see him again. You're going to love seeing him again. He says, you are going to rejoice when you see him. And then the second thing he says there at the end of verse 28, he says, I'm sending him to you that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious. Hear that. That I may be less anxious. Now as preachers, we love to find those imperatives. We love to find those commands and we love to find them in Philippians. There's a lot of commands there. We get over to chapter 4, verse 6. Chapter 4, verse 6 says, do not be anxious about anything. And preachers love to preach that and preachers love to say, anxiety is a sin. If you're anxious, if you're experiencing anxiety, that's a sin. I don't think it is. Paul says, I'd be happy just being less anxious right now. I don't think anxiety is a sin, but I think what can be dangerous to you is when you don't do anything about your anxiety. You know, when you don't take care of that anxiety, when you don't find a way of managing it. And there's so many things we can do today. Medication is very important. Counseling is very important when it comes to anxiety. But Paul's example here is sometimes it's about asking a friend and saying, can you take care of this problem that I have that seems so big that it's making me anxious? If you could help me out, it would make me less anxious. You know, you, you could be that kind of friend. You've, you've offered that kind of care to people before. I think about these two men who were friends to the Apostle Paul. Two men that he trusted. And he knew what they had done for him. Timothy is my son. He says, I have no one like him. There is no one of equal soul. Epaphroditus, he is my brother. He's my fellow worker. He's my fellow soldier. He's a messenger. He's a minister. I'm sending him to you so that I will be less anxious. And that's the beauty of the relationships we have in Christ. Relationships we have with each other. The life of faith is marked by relationships that bring healing. And I'll say it again, there's not a single command in this entire passage. The good thing is there doesn't need to be. You do not need me to stand up here and say, thou shalt be a friend. You don't need that. You know how to do that. You know how to be a friend to someone else. We know how to do this. So let's, let's do it. Let's be friends with people. Let's, let's be more intentional and let's do it in Christ Let's be intentional. Let's seek the interest of others. Let's do what we can to make our friends less anxious with what they're going through. And in doing that, let's let Jesus be glorified in our relationships. You've heard it said many times that as we take communion, we do so recognizing the body. And a lot of people think that means this, or recognizing what Christ in His body has done for us. But if you look at the context when Paul writes those words that we should take recognizing the body, he's talking about us. He's talking about the body of Christ. He's talking about the relationships that we have here. We don't take this on our own. We take this in communion with others. 
And we take this recognizing that as I am seeking Christ's broken body to meet my need, I might need to allow myself to be broken for you. And as we're holding to His blood that was poured out for many, his, the blood of His covenant, that is a covenant between me and you. And I'm going to have to live out that covenant in the way I care for you, the way I love you, the way I'm concerned about you. And so we take today recognizing the body and recognizing there may be members of the body that are anxious. And it might be up to us to make them less anxious. It might be up to us to send them a card or make a phone call and let them know we're praying for them. It might be up to us to drop off some groceries. It might be up to us to get them a really cool t-shirt. <laughs> In one way or another, let people know how important they are to us. Let's pray and then we'll sing and We'll take this together. Father, we love You. Lord, You have blessed us with friends. We could go through the ages and we could talk about amazing friendships here at Kansas Christian Church. We can come up to modern to our time right now and be two people people who share the same soul. The friendships that again and again to Your Son. I pray, Father, that we can be those kind of friends. I pray that we can be those who share work side by side. And most of all, that through our friendship, that people would see Christ lifted up. We thank You for those opportunities. We thank You for the body, for the blood. We thank You for the the, the bread and the cup that remind us of the cost uh, that Jesus paid not just to save each one of us, but to make us one, to bring us together. And we thank You for that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.